Um, I was on vacation this last week, and when you get back home from vacation, even as, as great as vacations are, when you get back home, it's good to be home, right? And especially for my two, ki- my, my two kids that are actually interacting and walking around with us. Collins, she's like two months old. She doesn't really care. But the other two, when we walk in the door, they are just so excited. And can you guess the first place they run to? They want to see their what? Their toys, they're toys. They don't care about the bedrooms. They don't care about the kitchen. They don't care about us unloading the van. They walk in, and we kind of have a makeshift playroom right when you walk in the front door. So we walk in, and it's like they hadn't seen these toys in years. I'm like, we've been on vacation. We've been playing. We've been seeing things. We've been doing things. You really miss your toys. And they just, they run in. They see their toys. And we, we try as parents our best to keep all of these toys organized. And you, I can imagine, you can guess how that goes. So we have these bins that keep for the most part, these toys organize. And so the first thing that they do is they run over to these bins and then they, they do what with them? Man, they just dump them. You would think, you know, logic would say, reason would say, well, let me, let me sort through and pull out the toy that I miss the most and want to play with. That is not how a four and a two-year-old think. They see the bin, they lift it up and they just dump it. Nope, that's not what I was looking for. They go get another bin, and then they just dump it. And we have about eight of these bins, and in about 30 seconds, they have just dumped all of these bins out all over the playroom. And we're like, okay, we'll, we'll let them do it. But then I say the parent phrase, that's your mess, so you need to clean it up. That's your mess, and, and you made it. So at some point today, you're going to need to clean it up. And they give me the yeah, 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 yeah. So we go throughout our day. We're getting ready to eat dinner. I say, hey, before we do anything else, that playroom is still a mess. So before you do anything else, before we have dinner, you need to go and clean it up. Everything kind of halts until they clean up the mess that they've made. It's a lesson we've all at least been taught and hasn't like caught on to all of us necessarily, but it's a lesson we've all been taught. It's a lesson we try to tell our kids, if you make a mess, you have to clean it up. And if you don't clean it up, then you're not able to move forward. You're not able to go out and play. You're not able to sit down and have dinner. You're not able to do anything else until you clean up that mess. It's a good lesson to learn culturally in our society. It's a, it is a difficult and even I would say wrong lesson, spiritually speaking. Here's what I mean by that. In our, in our spiritual lives, we all have messes, we all have mistakes, we all have failures, and God's grace covers that through his son, Jesus. That's what Jesus did on the cross, is he took care of our messes, our sins, our past, our baggage, our mistakes. He took care of it. He took them off. But what happens is we take that concept of, well, it's my mess, I've got to clean it up, and we carry that into our spiritual lives, and we feel like we cannot move on until we make up for it in some way. Well, all the things that I've done and all the things that I've said and all of that in the past, we feel like we can't totally move on until we've made it right in some way. And we might know if you're a believer in Jesus, you might know in your mind and and you would even confess with your heart, I, I know Jesus, I believe in him and I believe in his grace, but I still have all of this that I'm trying to make up for. I'm trying to still clean up. I'm trying to still make it right. That's what the Galatians were doing. We're going through the entire letter, not just a book, but a letter that Paul wrote to the early churches, plural, early churches in Galatia. And these these early Christians, they, they believed in Jesus. They would call themselves Christians, but they were still trying to clean up all of their baggage, to clean up all of those past mistakes and messes and failures and sins. And so what Paul does is he writes a letter and says, that's 
that's taken care of already. You're cleaning up a mess that's not even a mess anymore because Jesus took care of it. And they're saying, no, no, you don't understand, Paul. Like, you don't know what I've done. I, I've, got, I've got to make up for it. And so they've been using the law, the Old Testament law. Well, if I, if I do enough of the law for enough time, then maybe I'll be deserving of God's love. Maybe then I'll earn God's grace. Even though we don't always say that, we live that out quite frequently. Where the messes that we've made, the sins that we've committed, still, we're still carrying them into the now. Even though we might not vocalize it, we're still thinking, man, I still have, I've got to make this right. And we put it on our own shoulders to make it right. There's one word that will describe and sum up the entire letter Paul wrote to the early church in, Galatia, in, in the Galatians. That one word, let's see if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, that word is freedom. Somebody was here. That's great. Freedom. Say freedom. So when I ask, there's one word that sums up the entire letter Paul wrote to the early churches of Galatia. That word is Freedom, yes. If you've got your Bibles, head over to Galatians, and I'm going to start in chapter 5, one verse, and this really does, it sums everything up. Paul, throughout this entire letter, if you've been doing our Galatians challenge, we've been reading a chapter a week, he's basically saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's that same concept of you are free. His grace has covered everything, so you have freedom. And he says it again, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ has set us, and what's this word? Free. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. He gives, he gives a fact, and he gives two sets of instructions here. The fact is Christ has truly set us free. We are free. Because of what he did on the cross, because of his resurrection, we have grace, the free gift of grace. That grace has set us free. That's the fact. And then he gives two sets of instructions. He says, make sure you stay free. And then he says, don't get enslaved again. Don't get tied up. Don't get tangled up again with being enslaved to the law. So what he's saying here is, remember, you're free. If you've not caught on yet, you're free. You're truly free. I mean like really, really, really free, not kind of free, not free until you clean up your own mess. No, truly free. So make sure that you stay free and make sure that you don't get tied up trying to make it right because you can't. That's what he says. And he says that same thing over and over and over again. So the real question we need to be asking is, not are we free, because he just said we are. You're truly free. Christ has truly set us free. The question is, how do we stay free? How do we keep from being tied up? Because that's the two instructions he gives these early churches. He says, here's what you are. You are free, but make sure you don't lose it. Make sure you hang on to it. You got to keep that freedom. Because it's not that we lose the freedom, but we, we give it up because we go back to what enslaves us, and that is trying to make things right on our own to help get that into the minds and the hearts of the Galatians here. Right before this, he gives an example. These, these early Christians would have been very, very familiar, many of them, with the Old Testament, especially an Old Testament name that many of us are familiar with is Abraham. Abraham is called the father of Israel. He was kind of the, the first one, the patriarch, and we're going to see how this plays out in just a moment. But he brings up Abraham and part of Abraham's story to help them understand that concept. You are free, stay free, don't give it up. 
we give it up by going to the law. We give it up by trying to do it on our own. So in chapter four, right before he says that statement in chapter five, verse one, he begins to say, this is a lot like Abraham. You've heard this before. Galatians chapter four, verse 21, Paul says, tell me, you who, actually, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. Anybody know their names? You've got two, Isaac and Nice, yes, Isaac and Ishmael, we're gonna see them here in just a moment. That the scriptures say Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt. If you're taking notes, circle human attempt. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But on the other hand, the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment. Circle God's own but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. That's very wordy. And for the Galatians, this would have made perfect sense. They would have immediately said, oh, I see where you're going with this. For us, when we don't know the whole story, it's a little like, that sounds kind of confusing. He had, he had wives and, and sons. And what, what does this have to do with being free and being enslaved and everything else? What Paul's showing is, again, there's freedom in Christ because of grace. And then there's slavery outside of that because we're trying to earn it. We're trying to do everything we can, in this case, through the law, all the Old Testament. Well, if I do this, then I will be deserving of God's grace. If I do what God had said in the Old Testament long enough, then I would finally earn God's love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Instead of Jesus coming and said, hey, I'm going to cover it all. And you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. That's grace. We have freedom through grace. We are enslaved to the law. And what we say here is that human attempt. I'm trying to make up for my messes. I'm trying to clean up my past. So we need to dig in a little bit further to Abraham. Like I said, the Galatians would have heard that and said, oh, okay, I get it. The dots are connected. I hear you, Paul. For us, we don't totally know that story as well as the early churches would have. So I want us to walk through part of Abraham's story. Now, according to my clock, I have 23 minutes to cover about 25 years of this part of the story. Hope you don't have plans after this. We might go along. Now, I'm going to condense it really, really quick. So you're going to have to listen super fast as we go through part of Abraham's story. Now, I'm going to focus on several of Abraham's birthdays. So we're going to start when Abraham was 75 super young, according to scripture here. So here we go. When Abraham was 75, here's the beginning of his, his story as it relates to how God called him. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse one, the Lord had said to Abram, this was Abram, Abraham, there's gonna be a name change in a minute, so stay with me. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, he obeyed. It says that he departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left. So here, 75 years old, he's been kind of following God already, was, was known to God and knew of God. And God finally spoke to him and said, Abram, I've got a plan for you. And it's not just a plan for you now. I'm gonna start with you and I'm gonna create a great nation. You're gonna be the father of nations. Your descendants are gonna be so many you wouldn't even be able to count them. That promise was given to Abram at age 75. And he's like, that sounds great, wonderful. And at this point, he had no children. 
His wife, Sarai, they had no kids at this point. So 75, no kids. And God gave them a great promise. Not just will you have children, you are gonna have so many descendants. And not just many descendants, I'm gonna make you a great nation. 10 years later, now he's 85. Here's what happens next. Still no children. 10 years from 75 and now 85. And he's, hey God, remember that promise you gave me about 10 years ago and I left all of my relatives and all my family and all my friends and my home. Remember I left because you made a promise to me? Well, I'm still waiting. And so he does. He talks to God and says, God, I still don't have kids. And you promised me descendants. You promised to make a great nation from me. And I don't see how this is gonna happen. Look how God responds to him. He takes him outside. He takes him outside. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse five, says, the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram, what's this say here? Believed. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his, and say this word, faith. Now that's important because the 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 Galatians would have remembered that. That is a huge piece. And throughout the New Testament, you hear different New Testament authors reference that verse right there in the Old Testament. Because even though, even though Jesus hadn't come yet, right? Check this out. Even though Jesus hadn't come yet, Abram was counted as righteous, not because of what he did, not because of his obedience, not because of his works, trying to do everything right, but because of faith. Because of faith. So here, even Abram, he recognized, and God even mentioned is like, hey, you're righteous not because you do everything right. You're righteous because you have faith and you believe, not because you're trying to live perfectly. So he believed God, 85, okay, I see the stars. Okay, your promise is great. I believe you. Let's see what happens. But reality has still taken a deep hold on him and his wife. God, I know you tell me that I'm gonna have descendants like the stars, but the reality is it's 10 years and you're promising and either you can't keep this promise or for whatever reason you don't want to keep this promise because look what happens next. Very next chapter, verse 16, this is still when he is 85 years old. His wife, now Sarai, this is verse one out of chapter 16, Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. How's that for a soap opera drama for you? Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after he had settled in the land. So promise was given here. You're gonna have descendants. You're gonna have many children. 10 years later, still hasn't happened, but God still gave him the promise. Trust me, have faith in me. I'm gonna make good on this promise. But Abram and his wife, they still are struggling. Like, I don't see how this is gonna happen. We're getting older. We're not getting any younger. And so his wife says, I have an idea. I have a servant. She can have kids. How about we do a swap? See if you can have kids through her. And Abram and all of his old age wisdom says, that's a great idea. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And so they do. They kind of swap and now he's got two wives and so he sleeps with Hagar and they have a son and that son is Ishmael. So he's 86 when he has Ishmael. And he's thinking, hey, we did our part. God gave us a great promise. He wasn't fulfilling his end of the deal. So we'll take matters into our own hands. Oh, we do that, don't we? And God makes some promises and we read things through scripture and we don't like his timetable. So 
God, you're not working on, on my time frame, so how about I give you a hand here? You need some help, so let's take matters into our own hands and let's take care of it on our own. Remember in, in Galatians, Paul describes this as the human attempt. You circled human attempt. They make a human attempt to fulfill God's promise at age 80 for when Abram was 85 years old. Even after the promise was given, he says, God, you need a little help. At 85 years old, he says, we'll, we'll step in. And they give a human attempt. Now, if you're to keep reading through this saga of, of Sarai and, and Hagar and Ishmael and Abram and this whole weird love triangle thing, you'll see that as we could expect, things got worse. Could you see how their decision would make things worse instead of better? Absolutely. <laughs> this just doesn't seem like it's going to end well, and it doesn't. There's so much tension. There's all this family infighting, and it is just a mess. At 85, that decision, they thought they were making, helping out and making a difference, helping God out. In fact, they made it worse. They made it a whole lot worse. Well, more than 10 years pass, and we're going to jump to when he's now 99 years old. 99 years old, Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Promise was given. Promise was given again when, he was, when God was being second-guessed. So then God said, trust me. And Abram said, okay, I believe you, but I also believe you need a little bit of help. So we're gonna step in and take care of it on our own. Human attempt happened at 85. At 99, God comes back to Abram and says, who am I? I'm El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. And that promise I gave you here and here, guess what? It's still my promise. I promise to make you the father of a great nation and a multitude of nations. Your descendants will be many at age 99. Now, what happens here in the next part is God goes even a step further and, and leans in even further into this great promise. This is where the name change happens. Instead of Abram, God says, I'm gonna change your name to Abraham. And instead of Sarai, I'm gonna change her name to Sarah. Both of those name changes mean mother of nations and father of a multitude. And so God, even in this name change for both him and his wife are signifying and symbolizing, I'm gonna make good on my promise to you. And the underlying tone is, and no, I don't need your help. I've made the promise. I've got it covered. I've got you. Trust me. Have faith in me. Here's what he does next. Verse 17, all the name changes has happened, so now you're gonna see Abraham and Sarah instead of Abram and Sarai. Verse 17, after God just laid out this great plan and changed their names, I'm gonna continue to be, uh, to be your great God and I'm going to give you exactly what you've been praying for is a, a, not just a child, but descendants that would be more than the stars. Verse 17, then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in what? In disbelief. Abram bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought, and how could Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abram, those are in his thoughts. So Abraham, so Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Here's what Abraham could not possibly comprehend. So much, in fact, that he laughs. If God, El Shaddai, spoke to me and I lay down on the ground, I don't know if I would laugh at him. 
God made a promise. He made a promise. He's making a promise. And at this point, at this point, Abraham is like, this is just crazy. He laughs to himself, says, there's no way this could possibly happen for me or for my wife. Now, we may not laugh at God, but at the same time, in our hearts, we're thinking, grace? Are you kidding me, God? You, you're aware of what I've done, right? I mean, you can see all, all things, right? You know what's in my past. Grace is laughable because I don't think I deserve it. That's what was happening in the early churches of Galatia. Paul was telling them the good news that Jesus has set them free because of his grace. And in a way, they laughed, saying, oh, that's not possible. <laughs> that's impossible for, for this sacrifice of Jesus, just him being on the cross to just take away somehow all of my sins. That's, that's laughable. I have to do something. Surely I have to make a human attempt to earn and deserve it. It's laughable. And so often God's promises are laughable to us because they just seem outrageous. They don't seem logical. They don't seem reasonable. They don't even seem possible. And so we laugh. We say, that's just, that's not good. God, I appreciate the, the sentiment, but I'll take care of it on my own. That's basically what Abraham is saying here. And when he responds back to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing, what, what Abraham is saying is, you must mean that my, my great nation, the, the descendants are gonna come through Ishmael. And Ishmael, remember, was, was their human attempt, right? That's exactly what he thought. He said, okay, God, you're gonna make good on this promise. I mean, it's been so long since you made the promise, but you, you keep saying you're gonna make good on it. Well, surely you mean because of what I did to help, you are now gonna be able to have more descendants because of what we figured out with Hagar and, and Sarah, and now we have Ishmael. So I do have a son. It's not exactly what you promised, but we'll make it work. It's kind of what Abraham is saying to God. Look at God's response. Very next verse, verse 19, but God replied, no. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you, and you will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So at 99 years old, Abraham laughs at God because he got a promise way back when, and he's still waiting. And even after the attempt, well, let's see if we can help God out here, give him a jump start on this whole great nation thing. At 99, God, God still said, no, no, I'm, I'm gonna make good on my word to you. And you laugh all you want, but it's not gonna come through your human attempt. It's gonna come through me, God, fulfilling my own promise. You know what I love about what happened at age 99 for Abraham, probably the most, is that God still kept his promise even after what they tried to do when he was 85. I love that. I love that God didn't come to him at 99 and said, well, you kind of messed it all up, right? So I promised you and then you intervened, so promise is gone. Deal's off. I think God would have had every right to do that, but instead, God comes back and says, no, I'm still going to do exactly what I said. Great news for us, because we so easily may not vocally, but man, maybe in our heart and our mind, we laugh at God's promises. We laugh at God's, what he says he'll do because it just doesn't seem like it's going to actually happen. And God doesn't fault us for that. He says, my promises are still good. What I promised you is what I'm still gonna deliver on. Regardless of what you do in the middle, I'm still gonna make good on it. At 100 years old, one year after God came to him, Genesis chapter 21, verse one, the Lord kept his word. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time 
Notice that? At just the time. He got the promise here. I'm sure Abraham thought, this is great. This time next year sounds good for me. Waited, waited. At this point, God says, at just the right time. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the right time that God said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. God kept his word. Regardless of the human attempt here, regardless of the laughing that happened here, the laughing in disbelief, God kept his word. It took a long time, but God kept his word. See, God promises, but also delivers the impossible. What he promised, he delivered. And even though it seemed impossible and seemed impossible and seemed impossible, he still delivered. Grace, as it was told to the Galatians, it seemed impossible. That can't be right. Surely we have to do something. It's laughable, but God kept his promise. God delivers and keeps his promises. He keeps, even though they're impossible to us, he keeps his word. Now, this is funny. You gotta love this. What age did did Sarah and Abraham laugh at God? 99. They both laughed. If you kept reading, you would see that Sarah also laughed. So both Abraham and Sarah laughed at God in disbelief at when he was 99, that they would have this child and it wouldn't be from their human attempt. Do you know what the name Isaac literally means in Hebrew? He laughed. Isn't that great? And, and who demanded that they name him Isaac? God. So God, after he has such a great sense of humor, Maybe not to Abraham and Sarah, but for the rest of us. So at 99, both Abraham and Sarah laughed at God in disbelief. And he says, oh, no, I'm going to keep my promise. And by the way, you're going to name him Isaac when it happens. And part of me would just think like Abraham was thinking, oh, I'm going to eat my words, aren't I? (laughs) So they have to name their son Isaac. And so every time that they tell this story, oh, Isaac, that's an interesting name. Why did you name him? He left. Well, let me tell you, when I was 75, I got a promise. We tried to do it on our own at 85, at 99. I know, I know, I know. We laughed at God. Guess what happened a year later? He laughed, was born. I mean, God's plan is just awesome. And the entire nation of Israel, if you go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see the genealogy from Abraham to Isaac all the way to Jesus. And the nation of Israel came from he laughed. Jesus came from he laughed. It's laughable. Grace to us is laughable because it doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't seem logical. But that's what Paul was trying to help the Galatians remember. I know it doesn't make sense to you, he was telling the early church. But remember Abraham? Remember Sarah? Remember Remember the promise that they got? Remember how they tried to take care of it on your own? Because Galatians, that's what you're doing. You're giving a human attempt to fulfill God's promise. God gave you the promise of freedom. And the Galatians were saying, that's wonderful. It's not possible. We'll take care of it. And what Paul's reminding them is like, the human attempt did nothing. The promise continued until he delivered. And what Paul says is, when he delivered, he delivered Jesus. Through Isaac came Jesus, our Savior, who we are free from. Remember what Galatians chapter 5 said? Truly, Christ has set us, what was the word? Free. Truly, he has set us free. It seems laughable, but that's what he was helping the Galatians understand. Yes, he set you free. Make sure that you stay free and make sure that you don't get tied up in trying to take care of it on your own. Because remember this story? Remember Abraham. Remember Sarah. Remember that God 
delivers, but he also promises what we would deem impossible. So what does this tell me? When I was rereading this, this incredible story of Abraham and Sarah, it gave me one great reminder. And if you want to write this down, this would be a great thing for you to, to keep in the back of your mind. And it's something that I'll struggle with. It's something that you'll always struggle with. It's what the Galatians were struggling with. We need to trust God instead of trying to be God. Trust God instead of trying to be God. Because Abraham had moments of faith. He was even counted righteous because of his faith. He believed, but in that same year of believing God, he also, well, I've got to take care of it on my own. And then he laughed in disbelief. And it, it's easy to lose that. But what Abraham and Sarah were trying to do is God made a promise I've got to take care of it. It's not our job to be God. It's not our job to make good on God's promises. It's our job to say, okay, trust God instead of trying to be God. Now, does that mean we have no responsibilities? No, we're going to talk about that the next couple of weeks as we finish out Galatians. There's a lot that we have the opportunity to do, but we don't be God. We trust God instead of trying to be him. I told you Paul says the same thing over and over and over again. Back in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, he says this, Yet we know that a person is made right, made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in, in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. He's saying the same thing again and again. Not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. It's all because of our faith. Christ has truly set us free. How did that happen? What he did on the cross and by us just saying, okay, that's it. But we all fall back because we look in our past and man, I've made a mess. And I've, I've done a lot wrong. God, it's laughable that you would still love me. It's laughable that you would forgive me. It's laughable that you would just cover it, that you would just take it away. But understand, Jesus gives us freedom from all of our failures. Every single one of our failures, Jesus gives us freedom. That one word that is about, that, that Paul writes throughout all of Galatians is freedom. Jesus gives us freedom from all of our failures. And I know what happens and what tends to happen is like I said, we go back, well, I'm, I've got, it's my mess. I've got to clean up my mess. He's taking care of it. And know those past sins and those mistakes and those failures and all of those faults no, he's, he's not ignoring them. He's not, I'm, I mean, yes, they happen. And, and there are some very real consequences that yes, we still deal with. But what Jesus did do is he took them to the cross. He's not excusing what we did. He's not saying, oh, they're there, it's okay. He said, no, it was wrong. Your human attempt is wrong. You... You going behind my back and trying to take care of it was wrong. You laughing in disbelief was wrong, but I still love you. I still care for you. And that promise is still there. Jesus frees us from all of our failures. I think what this is gonna hit home, the person that this is gonna get hit home for right now is the person in here that is tired, the person here that's exhausted, the person here who has been trying in vain to clean up their past and feel like they're getting nowhere, maybe even to the point where you would say, I'm making it worse. I can't seem to just get past my past is probably what you would think. 
and you're tired of messing with it, you're tired of dealing with it, but it's your mess, so you feel like you've got to clean it up. There's a phrase that comes out of the sport of boxing. It's the phrase, throw in the towel. Heard the phrase, throw in the towel? That phrase came from boxers that after getting beat up for so long, they haven't tapped out yet, and they haven't been knocked out yet, but they have gone round after round after round after round after round, and they are, they are between rounds, finally, and they're just done. So either themselves or one of their managers around them would take a towel and throw it into the ring and symbolically show their opponent, we're done. For that boxer, that's a sign of defeat. As Christians, that's a sign of victory. Because we are not intended to fight battles that have already been won by Jesus. That's what Paul meant when he said, make sure you stay free. Don't get tied up again by trying to fight a battle that he's already freed you from. If you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you need to throw in the towel, Jesus has already taken care of it. And sure, we've got consequences that we've got to deal. There's consequences. The, the consequences from Ishmael continued throughout history. You can read about it all throughout the Old Testament. There were still consequences, but God's promise was still true. And Abraham and Sarah still experienced freedom, just like we do. Can I tell you and give you permission to throw in the towel? I'm not telling you to quit telling you to quit fighting a battle that Jesus has already won for you. You don't have to clean up your mess. He took it to the cross for you already. We, we get to live in freedom, and I know that just doesn't seem fair. Grace is not fair. You hear that? Grace is so not fair <laughs> that I get to live a free life, and Jesus had to go to the cross? Tell me there's nothing fair about that. But that's grace, and that was God's choice, and that was his promise for every single one of us. If you're tired of getting beat up and if you're worn out, throw in the towel and put your energy elsewhere, seeking after God and living in a freedom that he intended you to have. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for freedom. Thank you that we don't have to earn it. Thank you that we don't have to do anything to make up for it. Thank you that, that it's truly free. That it's not with strings attached, that it's not with, with any disclaimer, but your grace is exactly that. It's grace. God, help us to, to put our energy and our focus on where you would desire instead of fighting these battles and trying to clean up our past, that we would just live in freedom because you've already taken care of that and that we would use our freedom to help others. We would use our freedom to lean into our relationship with you. God, give us the courage to throw in the towel, to celebrate victory with you and the freedom that we have because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.